God in the world. Please be seated. It is good to see you all this morning. For those who are participating with us online, it's good to have you. For those who are visiting here with us, let us say how grateful we are to have you and would like to invite you back every opportunity that you have. You have heard from pulpits like this one that we live in a world that is lost and dying. What does that mean? Well, we live in a world that is ignorant of the Bible. By that, I mean uneducated in. May have a, a copy of God's Word, but yet have never cracked that book open. Uh, a majority of what the world would know about the Bible is that it's Large and the cover's black. Sometimes it's heavy. We live with people who try to live their own lives their own way and try to live in such a fashion that they will be okay with that the way they think about life so that they can feel comforted. We live with a people that have questionable ethics at times or ethics that fit the situation at times. No real standard of necessarily right 100% of the time or wrong 100% of the time. We live with a people who are spiritually applying ointment to a wound that will never heal. We live with a people who are lost, don't even know it. They may understand and look at that word lost and they may think they know and perhaps they equate, equate that to some kind of being lost physically, and yet that's not what it is at all. They know of a God because they've heard the word before. They know of His Son Jesus because they've heard that phrase before. But realistically, anything else, they don't know. Maybe they attend a worship service of some denominational body, or maybe not. Maybe they attend every week, or maybe they don't, or maybe uh, they hit the big three holidays, you know, Christmas and Mother's Day and Easter. But in fact, they're, they're lost. And they don't know what that is. And then we look outside of the church. And we see a group of people who are lost in that same fashion. 
or even worse. You know, if, if it's not caught by um, our police force, then it doesn't really count. It's kind of like the way we play basketball. If you don't call the foul, it doesn't really count. We, we live in a world of people who are lost. And it's a shame that we do. Because at the end of our lives, according to Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and 46, you and I will be gathered before the very throne of God himself. All of humanity. And in verse 46, we will either hear one of two pronouncements. Welcome to eternal life. Or welcome to eternal punishment. As a matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we're told that God will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not His word. Notice those two phrases right there. Not just those that have never obeyed, and, and yet they will be in there, but those also who have never heard. Now, church, that's going to fall on us. Isn't it our duty to teach? I'd hate for somebody to go to hell because I didn't teach them. Because I might be the next one in line, and how do you think that's going to go? Those that obey not his word and those that know, do not know about those things, uh, we are going to stand before the Almighty, and we are going to hear a pronouncement of our judgment because of the way that we live. Now let's see how God would define being lost. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 13, Paul would urge us by the inspiration of God that God would not have us to be ignorant. He would not have us to be uh, uneducated about what God wants. It would be very unfair for God to expect something of me and yet never tell me what he expects. So God would say, even in his word, I'm going to tell you what I expect. And we go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12, which Michael read for us so aptly just a moment ago. Being without Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth of Jesus the Christ. Notice these last two phrases in that particular verse. With no hope and without God. If you want a concise, uh, a very small definition of lost, no hope, and without God. You know, if God were to judge the world and were to say, um, for all of you who have lived out of bounds of, of the way I would expect you to live, I'm going to give one out of every one billion the opportunity just to come to heaven no questions asked. If he were to say that, it would at least give a glimmer of hope to a lost world. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12, Paul would write by the inspiration of God that those who are outside of Christ have no hope and that they will be without God. They'll be in a place where God has not been, nor will he ever be. Be regulated to a place that is reserved for the devil and his angels. 
This is worse than being lost physically. This is more than just being uh, somewhere in Walmart where my mother or father can't find me. This life of lostness ends in an eternity of lostness from which there will be no rescue. We like to teach our children, and, and rightly so, we like to teach our children about the goodness and the majesty and the wonder of God himself and the, the gloriousness of that home in heaven and those streets that would be, as it were, paved with gold and, and those, those walls of protection. No more sickness, no more pain, no more dying forever. It's a good thing that we teach our children that. But without teaching them that hell is just as long, we're doing them a great disservice. Notice this plan that God has given to us. We're going to look at John chapter 3 and verse number 16 as you and I look at the, uh, the Bible here. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. And generally, we start right there and we talk about the love of God. Generally, we say, for God so loved the world, and, and rightly so. We, that verse can stand alone as a passage where God would show us how much he loves us. But if you'll back up to 14, I want you to know that this is not a one-time action. In verse number 14, God takes us all the way back to the wilderness where the nation of Israel was not following after God. And God decided to punish them with what the King James Version would write as fiery serpents. That's a great word for uh, poisonous snakes. Or in my case, snakes. Dead ones, live ones, they're all poisonous, right? They scare me enough, they'll give me a heart attack. Doesn't that count? He said, if you get bit by these fiery serpents, what I want you to do is leave where you are and go to the tabernacle where Moses has put on top of a, sta uh, 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 a pole a, a serpent made out of brass. If you'll go from where you are and go look at that brass snake, you'll be healed. What an interesting idea. If you leave there and go there, you'll be healed. Where is he taking them? He's taking them to the door of the tabernacle. Why? Well, probably a majority of them never have left here to go to the tabernacle. There's a break in a relationship that's supposed to be there. And because they have broken that relationship, they don't even know who God is. So in verse 14, he writes this, And as, here's the comparison, as, As Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is John chapter 3 and then verse number 16. For, here's the reason why, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. As you and I look at that particular 
idea, we see that adverb of manner in the word so, as God so loved the world that he was able to give everything that he could to us to save us, which would bring in the next step of this plan. He gave unto us that only son, not his first, not his favorite it's interesting as the word is used, his only begotten, monogenes, that is, so completely unique that there will never be another one like him, so you better get on board with this sacrifice. That's a lot of words in one word, isn't it? You have God who, who issues the plan. That plan comes through the very blood of Jesus the Christ. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28. That church for which Jesus purchased with his blood. You and I look at this plan almost, I hope, every week or at least a couple of times every week. And we say, yeah, I know the plan that God gave. And yeah, I know the plan that came through the sacrifice of Jesus the Christ. Yes, I know that you do. Do you understand that the Spirit's involved? Because saying only that the plan comes from God through Jesus the Christ is true, but it's not honest. The Spirit, John chapter 16, verse 8 and verse 13, and, and uh, John chapter 14 and verse number 25, and in uh, John chapter 17, and uh, in Acts chapter, or rather Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, and Acts chapter 2, and in Acts chapter 3, has an important part in the saving of lost men. This book. This leather-bound book that you and I hold in our hands and in our laps and hold so dear in our lives. According to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21 and or 20 and 21 did not come to us just by somebody writing something. But rather, that God, that plan of God and those, that sacrifice of Jesus the Christ was made known to us by the inspiration of the Spirit and He still convicts man through the truth of God's Word today. It's necessary for us to understand who God is and the plan that He had and who Jesus is and, and the, the sacrifice that He made and, and what the Spirit does there's also another part of this plan in Acts, or Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 17, and it deals with you and me. And the bride and the spirit say, come. Now stop right there. 22 books of the New Testament previous to Revelation, and I'm taking out the Gospels. But from Acts on, when you and I read the word the bride, there is a certain uh, mindset that comes to mind and we think of the church and that's a good thing because a majority of the time, nine times out of ten, God is referencing the bride as the church. So who is it in Acts chapter 22 when the bride and the Spirit say come? 
This is not a trick question. It is still the church. It's not going to change. That reference is not going to change because it mystically went to one book at the last of, of the New Testament that we're kind of afraid of. It's still the church. And the church is praying for those who are lost. And we pray quite consistently that those lost people have an opportunity of time to come to God. Absolutely we do. I want everyone to have enough time to be obedient to God, to not be lost, don't you? Oh, yeah. That's not the only thing we pray for as the church for them. We pray, pray for them to know what truth is. And not just obey something that they think might be true, but really what is true. As the... The Father has an opportunity to work, giving us a plan. And as the sacrifice has an opportunity to work, shedding His blood. And as the Spirit has an opportunity to work, telling us about it. And as we have an opportunity to work, to diligently seek those, and to pray for those, and to teach those. There's an open-ended invitation given by Jesus Christ, found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come unto me. Not anywhere else. Not any other authority. Not any other person. Come unto me, Jesus would say. All you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Anybody tired today? Is it just me? I know y'all are. Friday night, 7 p.m. Just across the breezeway there, we started. And we finished at 7 a.m. And we began to drag a little about 5.30, 5 or 5.30. And so we began at that point to run around and shoot each other with weapons uh, made from Nerf, and uh, begin to shovel uh, handfuls of sugar into your children so that they could last another hour and a half. Some were wanting to go to sleep. That's a no, 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 no. And so yesterday we went home, and probably most of you who were there went home and then went, hey, look, there is a bed. Let me go to sleep. Had a nice meal last night. The Hayes family got their bellies full. And I didn't see the, the two who lived downstairs after that. I'm assuming they went down there and passed out again. I had an opportunity to sit on the couch with my lovely bride. And I think I was watching a basketball game. And I felt her head get very heavy. She was tired. She needed some rest. For some reason, I decided to stay up till about 8 p.m. like I was Superman or something. I don't know who I was proving that to. And then I said, why am I so stupid? Why don't I just go to bed? And I woke up this morning refreshed with having enough sleep and my body was ready to go again. And... We've all been tired. 
We all know what rest does for that tired body. And Jesus, the Christ, is not offering rest for a tired body. He's offering rest for a tired soul. I'll give you rest. Peace and comfort. Come unto me, all you that labor, you're heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Hitch yourself together as beasts of burden with Jesus the Christ. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. And once again, you'll find rest unto your souls. Rest is what he offers to those who are lost. Those who may have never put on Christ in baptism, he offers rest. He offers redemption. Remission of sin. And that offer is still valid for his child because sometimes when we've put on Christ, sometimes we don't act like it. Do we? I understand if when I ask you that question, you look down and say, oh, he must be talking to someone else. I understand. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 22, Simon is told by Peter, repent and pray that the, heart, the thought of thine heart be forgiven thee. He's not in the relationship he ought to be with God as he offers to buy the power to give the Holy Ghost to whomever he will. Sometimes we walk outside of the light because that's where we choose to walk. Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, you find three parables. The parable of the lost coins, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost sons. Halfway down about in the middle of the parable of the lost son, you see that young boy knee-deep in a hog pen. And you have the Bible write the greatest phrase about the human condition, at least in my opinion, that I find in the written word. And here's what it says. And when he came to himself, You know what that lost boy realized? Even though he was a child of the Father, you know what he realized? I don't have to stay lost. Friend, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, I've got some great news for you. One, you're lost, but you don't have to be. You can come to God today. You can believe on Him. You can repent of your sin, confess that Jesus is the Christ, and you can be baptized for the remission of your sins and being added to the church for which Jesus gave His very life. And for you who have done that, let me say this to you. If you have done that and you've walked away from Him, you don't have to stay lost. You can come back to a God that loves you to a family that has been missing you and praying for you, and you can be restored to sonship if you would. And we're praying that you'll take advantage of heaven's invitation right now while we stand and while we sing.